0: What's going on, everybody? Happy Friday. Welcome into another edition of Final Whistle. As always, I'm your host, Blaine Spencer. I have two guests, not just one, two guests with me this week. I have the Hall of the Sports podcast. I have Richard Behan and Matt Majidski here with me today. Gentlemen, how are we doing? Thanks for coming on taking the time.
1: Uh, we're, I mean, I, I'm great. I, I don't want to speak from that. Uh, but, you know, I, I'm great. We've, uh, you know, been – uh we we've been doing some some stuff i know of course matt is up at syracuse i've been just kind of uh hanging out here in staten island new york but of course uh now that we're getting back into college basketball uh the nba doesn't have an off season college football of course uh nfl football you know how could you not how could how could you not love life right now uh, at least in the sports world i'll say
2: yeah no i mean it's going well i i would say i have maybe a little bit tougher skin than rich being in the colder part of new york than <laughs> oh, now. so uh I'll throw that out there. But, no, obviously doing great. We got college basketball back. That's my favorite sport. So I've just been having a blast over the past week and a half.
0: I couldn't agree more. It's been fantastic to have sports back. And just, like, we're in that peak time of the season where there's sports all over. And with the NBA, NHL going to hopefully both going to ramp up soon. So it's going to be loads of fun. So let's talk about what we're going to have on slate today. First off, these two are big college basketball guys. That's what they're known for. So we're going to start off with some college basketball. So we're going to recap some big games that took place this weekend, uh, this week, excuse me, UNC Texas, Baylor, Illinois, Gonzaga, West Virginia. We're also going to preview the one versus two matchup that is Gonzaga-Baylor. We're also big Scene Hall guys, Scene Hall alums. So we'll give you a little bit of a niche, what we're going to expect tonight as they play the Oregon Ducks out there in Nebraska. So without further ado, let's recap what's happened. UNC versus Texas. Matt Coleman hit a buzzer beater with .1 seconds left on the clock, had 22 points that helped them win the Maui Invitational, 69 to 67. Texas is known for their defense this year, holding teams under 40% from the field. And this is an interesting component of how North Carolina has really struggled shooting-wise, especially coming from the guard position. Rich and Matt, let's, Rich, let's start with you. What did you see from that game?
1: You know, it, it's interesting to me because, you know, you look at UNC last year, obviously it was a down year. Um, and then Cole Anthony leaves for the draft. Obviously he didn't play long last year um, because of his injury. But the thing is for me is that I will always trust a Roy Williams coach team the problem is, is that do they have enough to offset, uh, you know, everything else that is going on? Of course, COVID concerns like that. Um, you know, I mentioned losing Cole Anthony. That's huge. Uh, so the question for UNC is going to be, you know, how are they going to offset that? And, you know, on the Texas side, besides Shaka Smart with hair, by the way, which is really weird. I don't know if I, uh, I like that. Very weird. But, uh, you know, for, for them, I like, Blaine, like you said, Blaine, uh, defensively, I think they're a really, really solid team, and they're going to keep trending in that direction. I think as the season goes, I don't think this is a flash in the pan uh, type scenario here. So, uh, for Texas, I, I would actually expect Texas to keep rising in the rankings. I don't, I don't necessarily think UNC is going to fall that far, um, but I'm just I, there's more question marks for me with UNC uh, than with Texas right now at this point. Matt, what do you got?
2: Yeah, you know, I mean, when I look at that game, I see a Texas team that I think is a very underrated team. I mean, I think this team has the talent to go to the Final Four, if you want to be truthfully honest. I see a team that has three upperclassmen guards. That's really how you get places in the NCAA tournament. We talked about Matt Coleman, you know, Courtney Ramey and Andrew Jones, two other guards that are really, really good And again, I see a North Carolina team that I think is overrated coming into this year. I mean, you look at Garrison Brooks, and he's a fantastic talent. But when North Carolina was good really over the past three, four, five years, they had those big bodies down low. You look at a Kennedy Meeks, even a Luke May, someone that can push other guys around. He might not have had the height, but he was a big body down there. I just don't see that with UNC right now, and I think that's why it's hurting them. They're just not recruiting like they used to.
0: Yeah, and I think what uh, – especially losing a, a Kobe White, too, in the draft as well, a couple of years back. Also, with that – especially with guard play with UNC, they always have that floor general that you always trust who's able to get it into those big guys like Brooks, like a Kennedy Meeks or a Luke May. But I just wanted to rally off some stats here that I thought was absolutely intriguing. For the first uh, start of the year. this is the North Carolina guards. Love, 27% from the field. Black, 31% from the field. Uh, playtech 37% from the field. Walton, 25% for the field. R.J. Davis is their best shooter at the moment at 40%, but he also went three of 11 in that championship game against Texas. So I feel like they just do not have any shooting that anywhere on the floor at the moment, which is really hindering them. At, while for Texas, you can totally see the growth that Matt Coleman has finally taken on that leadership role to be that guy for Texas where he's usually that second or third option in recent seasons so I think that actually played a a, a huge role for how Texas is growing and looking in the right direction while UNC is going in the opposite
2: right Rachel? yeah I completely agree with I'm you there. there I mean I think that when you look at this Texas team again you just look at all those guards that I mentioned before and then obviously with UNC in that game just if they had had those bigger guys, maybe it would have been tougher for Texas to defend them. But I mean, like you mentioned too, the North Carolina guards haven't been as well as good either. I mean, you even look at like a Joel Berry in past years, you know, they just don't seem to have that dog that will take over, hit those clutch shots because that's how they really lost that game. I mean, that was a winnable game and Texas made the plays down the stretch.
1: Yeah. You know, and and like I kind of said before, I, 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 I want to reserve passing judgment on some of these teams early in the season because, again, not everybody got shut down because of COVID-19. But, again, it, this is a season that I think is going to be mentally draining not only on players but on coaches as well. So I, I'm going to try and th- – this is just me this season. I'm going to try and be a little bit – I'm trying to to give a little leeway this year. Um, but, you know, especially early in the season, there's a lot of stuff that needs to be worked out um, – of course a lot of stuff off the court as well uh so f- for these teams i'm i'm going to try and you know hold back on judgment for for as long as i can but you know there are some things that you need to see where you're like okay you know we're not shooting the ball right now we just can't make it a trend right you know we can't we can't bridge it over you know 5 6 games you know you see it in one game all right forget it but you don't want it to be a trend so i think that's the that's the thing that's going to you're going to have to watch out for this year is these teams saying, okay, uh, you know, let's put the past behind us and let's get to playing our basketball.
0: Absolutely. And picking off of what you said, Rich, I know especially in this very fluid season with the whole COVID, I think it's going to be the most unique season that we're going to have. And I feel like with teams scheduling, losing games, finding games within a day or two days before they're actually going to go out and play, I feel like, Uh, the freshmen almost have a little bit more of an advantage because it's going to be more of an AAU type of feel. You're just going to go out there and play. You're not going to do as much in-depth research if you're going to schedule a game last second. So I was wondering what you guys think of how that the freshmen might be able to excel a little bit more this season, especially with all the scheduling mishaps that might be going on throughout the year.
1: You know, that's, I mean, that's going to be a huge thing. Uh, Because it's going to have to be so fluid, um, You know, like you said, you you think you're playing one game and then you have to play a completely different game, fly halfway across the country. Um it could help the freshmen. Yeah. 100% from a scouting perspective. Um, But think of the programs that have, you know, those impact freshmen that can make a difference right off the bat. It certainly helps them. Um, But for a team that, you know, maybe doesn't get those big name freshmen and, you know, relies on maybe a little bit of its upper class, but maybe a little mix of both. um, You know, it might be tougher for those guys to say, you know what, you've been playing college basketball one way for two, three years, you know, you, take, you play one game, take a couple days off, get in the gym, practice, uh, do your scouting reports, and then you hit the ground running and play the game. This year, uh, you know, you could have a game on Friday, uh, go through Saturday thinking you're playing one opponent on Monday, and then somebody else completely slides in. And that might it, – it, it might mess with you psychologically. Um, it, it's going to be tough this year, like you said, playing a, a very tough season. But, you know – if these kids, you know, want to obviously go on and be professionals and, you know, make their name in the NBA, you gotta, you gotta adapt. And I think that's what this uh, college basketball scene is going to be about. And really, you know, the team standing at the end, how well did you adapt? Maybe not necessarily how well did you play basketball? Because obviously if you're up at the top, we know you play basketball well, just at the end of the day, how did you adapt to the changes around you that, you to the top.
2: Yeah, and not only that, Rich, but I think that the freshmen this year maybe have a little bit of a pressure taken off their backs. I think that, you know, a lot of times you go into years, you have these freshmen that come in, they're really high recruits, but they're behind players that are juniors or seniors. They maybe have to wait until half the season to get into the flow of the roster and the depth chart and everything. But sometimes that hurts those freshmen because you know they want to play right away. They think, oh, I'm this top 50 recruit. I should be playing right away. And it can hurt their confidence a little bit. I think now you see, whether it's players being out with COVID, whether it's coaches saying, hey, we don't know what's going to happen in the future. I need to get these freshmen involved from day one. I think that can help the growth because there's no better way to grow really in any sport, and particularly in basketball, than playing in the game. It's one thing to improve during practice, but it just helps the confidence so much when you play in the game. And I think you're going to see that a lot out of some of these freshmen that maybe in other years wouldn't have really gotten into the rotation until later in the year and maybe even fell out of the rotation. I think you're going to see them become a strong force in a lot of these teams and a lot of deeper teams as well.
0: Yeah, definitely. You guys both made some valid points, and I feel like conditioning is also going to play a huge role of, of why you're going to see so many more teams go deeper into their bench, especially to start the year with the no really of a tr- uh, preseason, no real like, training camp going into the year. So we'll definitely see how this season unfolds. Well, let's turn this into one of the, the other major games that happened that day. We have Baylor, Illinois. That was a top-five matchup that took place. The Baylor Bears took down the Illini 82-69, to 69, which really has been a, a, cat, a caveat to what Baylor has been doing lately, trying to transition now that they've become a full zone defense, which is cr- really unique. Only a few handful of teams do it. Syracuse, where Matt's at right now, is, is the most known for that. But I think they held Io Dosimuno to 33% shooting, which is a huge difference maker of that game, being able to hold – probably easily one of the the front runners to take down the Wooden Award or the Naismith Award uh, for college basketball this season. So I want to get you guys' take of how you've seen the Baylor Bears. They've had a little bit of issues with scheduling and COVID already, but they've already taken advantage of some massive uh, opportunities, taking down Illinois, and they have a huge challenge tomorrow taking on the number one team in the country, that is Gonzaga.
1: Yeah, and I think we're going to talk about Gonzaga in a little bit, so I won't go there yet. Uh, but Baylor Baylor is one of those teams that was stopped because of COVID, um, but the, it looks like they haven't even missed a beat. Uh, that's just how stacked uh, this roster is, for lack of a better word, honestly. Um, I mean, you – and to talk about what you were talking about before with them going to a full zone defense, I, the thing that stands out to me is athleticism. I mean, this is a team that will beat you up and down the floor. They will space the floor on you very well. It's a very athletic team. So, you know, when I see a score like 82-69 in the favor of Baylor over Illinois, who's still a very good team, uh, obviously, um, but it just it says to me that uh, you know, I don't think this is one of those beginning of the year flukes. I think this team is actually very strong and very solid f- up and down the lineup. And uh, they'll be there at the end, uh, especially if teams fail to figure out this. Uh, if, if teams fail to figure them out defensively, uh, it's going to be a long season for their their opponents.
2: Yeah, and I want to talk about Illinois for a little bit because I really thought that Illinois was going to win that game going into it. I just – Between Kofi Coburn and Io DeSumno, I just think those are two of the top 10, 15 players in the country. You know, Illinois maybe needs a little bit more out of other players on that team, but I think as far as a duo, I don't know if it gets much better than that. But for Baylor's credit, and Blaine, thanks for mentioning my connection to Syracuse because that's what I was going to go into. You talk about a team going full zone. Not many people know this, but even though Jim Boeheim known for his 2-3 zone, He didn't really commit to it fully until 1996. Now, before then, he had made a Final Four in 87. But the interesting thing is he commits to that zone that year. Syracuse makes the Final Four. And he said that the reason was is that, you know, we were going between man-to-man and the zone defense. And he said that, you know, something clicked. And he's like, if we practice just one of these, which is the zone, they were going to the zone to stop opponents. That's the reason they would switch to it is that if we commit to this full-time, our defense would be that much better. And I think that's what you're seeing out of Baylor because, I mean, Illinois, I expect them to score 80 points or more in most games. And in that game, it just looked like it was far from that. I mean, obviously, being held below 70. And, I mean, if Baylor can add a little bit more on offense, that's going to be a tough team to take down in March. Yeah,
0: and the one issue that I had with a little – with Illinois was that definitely what you brought up, Matt, was the maybe scoring from more versatility other than that duo. Especially, like, I was a little alarmed when Ohio U only – they had to squeak by very late with that three-pointer to take that game down against against the Bobcats. And Ohio U does have a a stud and a score that kept them in that game. But still, I was very alarmed by Illinois, which is why I thought Baylor was going to be able to lock them down and the one thing that I love about Baylor's defense, is especially when they go into that 1-3-1, one, one, the athleticism is crucial. But they go with size up top. They put their – usually like their small forward or power forward who's got the length who can stretch the floor, who's able to create havoc with the deflections, which Baylor's zone defense has now become accustomed to, is deflections and your run after that. So very interesting to see how the athleticism of Baylor, how they're matching up. And especially for Illinois, I think they still have a long way to grow. I definitely see them as a uh, uh, lead eight final four contender with just with those, with the duo themselves, they can, he- they can easily take them there, but we have to still see it. They need to find a third option. I think that just needs to give them enough to take the, uh, the, the weight off of the dynamic duo that is for the Illini. Well, let's transition to the last game that we're going to have a little recap here was the Gonzaga versus West Virginia. Gonzaga squeaked by with an 87 to 82 victory Gonzaga currently the number one team in the country and for me personally they've looked like the most impressive team in the country already taking down two top 12 opponents in West Virginia as well as Kansas I think that Kansas victory was probably the most dominant win I've seen this so far this season that happened uh, last week I am a little alarmed with the Jalen Suggs foot injury when he came back in he didn't look as healthy as you want especially as a stud freshman But they have a three-headed monster in Timmy Suggs, and I can't really say his last name, Ologele. I think that I might have botched it, but oh well. Um, But still, they definitely – they shot 49% from the field. That offense is lethal. I think they're a little bit susceptible on the defensive end, though, which might be their only critique that I have at the moment. West Virginia was able to only shot 38% from the field, but they got to the free throw line plus 35 times, which kept them in that uh, basketball game. Uh, Matt, let's go to you first. What did you see from the Gonzaga-West Virginia matchup? I also learned a lot from the Mountaineers as well that they're going to be a tough out, especially in the Big 12.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'll start with that, I guess. Sometimes I'm hesitant on West Virginia just because I feel like they're an overhyped team because of their defense a lot of years. But the fact that they were able to compete with Gonzaga even before that Jalen Suggs went down was impressive. But, I mean, I think Gonzaga is by far the title favorite at this point. I mean, you mentioned between... Timmy, Ajay, Suggs, and Kispert, and Andrew Nemhard, too. I mean, they've got like five guys there that would start on any program in the country. And I just think you look at a Gonzaga team that can score the ball, they can shoot the ball, they have senior leadership, they have transfers that have experience from Power Five conferences, so they're not going to be afraid of any moment. And all that combined, Gonzaga by far. The fact that they were able to rebound after Suggs went down, too, because West Virginia went on that little run, and then Gonzaga kind of got back as a team, and then Suggs comes back, and just all of that combined, and I think Gonzaga's by far my favorite.
1: You know, Matt and I were actually talking about this before, and, you know, I, I watched that game the other night, and I said, okay, this is actually the first time in a couple years that I actually look at a Gonzaga team, and I'm like, okay, this team actually might do it just because I'm never sold on a Gonzaga team because they play in the West Coast Conference. And I know that might be a dumb idea to have, but my thing is when you face elite competition over the course of your entire year, it helps you when you get to March. When you're Gonzaga and you're playing in the West Coast Conference, you're maybe playing outside of your out-of-conference schedule. In conference, you're maybe playing two to four hard games a year. I'll say hard in quotation marks. Because even then, I really don't think they're that hard. But this year, I don't. It, this year, it doesn't really depend on who they're playing. Like you said, Matt, one through five, they're probably the most solid team in the nation, and I firmly believe that. Uh, You look at what everybody did the other day Nemhard, Suggs, Ayayi, Kispert, Timmy, everybody's in there and everybody's getting points. So it's not like they're a one headed machine where it's like, okay, dump the ball down inside to Timmy and he'll get 25 points a game and Nemhard's going to get maybe 10 to 12. Well, that's not the case because Nemhard still had 19 points. So for me, you look at this Gonzaga team and it's like, okay, I actually, this is a team I can actually buy into now. Uh, as you know as for the Suggs injury it's you know you just hope he's the same player he came back into the game didn't look the same but you know at least he was out there to I don't know if he was really out there to make a difference after the injury but he was out there to maybe kind of be a decoy a little bit so you know even if he's not a hundred percent you know Mark Few might still throw him out there however many minutes a game just to say okay you know, you'll you'll focus a little bit on Suggs. Maybe it'll take the pressure off of a Timmy or a Nemhard. Uh, so it, it's going to be interesting to see now how Gonzaga goes forward. Um, this is a team that I really like uh, going down into March.
0: Oh, absolutely. And they definitely have. I think the only issue that I've seen so far with the Zags is that they are only they only have an eight man rotation going. So I think. I mean, at the moment, that's probably not that big of a deal. And especially when they get into WCC play, they'll, they'll definitely stretch that bench out. So, but still, I think that's the only critique I have for them right now at the moment is that they're only playing eight guys, and that might take a toll on them. It's, but they're, as soon as you get to WCC play, they'll be, up, they'll be blowing out teams, and they'll be blowing 11 or 12 deep, I think. But let's transition to tomorrow's matchup that is Zags versus Baylor, one versus two. I think it's going to be extraordinarily to watch a very offense versus defense versus mindset with the Baylor D and the versus the Gonzaga's O. -O -O. And I don't think Gonzaga will go past the eight-man rotation again tomorrow. And Baylor has a lot more depth. What do you guys see and what do you guys want to see from both teams tomorrow?
1: You know, just for Gonzaga, I want to see, uh, you know, kind of like how I talked about before, I want to see how they adapt to facing this kind of defense. again very solid one through five. So it might help them space the floor a little bit on offense. I think that'll go a long way. I do eventually think that uh, Gonzaga does win the game. I don't know by how much or I don't even know what the spread is at this point. I didn't even look that up. Um, But, you know, at this point, I would say Gonzaga is a a deeper team one through five, obviously than uh, most of the teams in the country, if not all. Um, the, The bench is a little that bench might come into play if you know Suggs can't go all those minutes. Uh, you might have to start rotating in and out. But you know, at the end of the day, I just think uh, Gonzaga is a is is a much better team one through five. So I'll say that uh, you know, if Gonzaga is conditioned properly, of course, uh, you know that that they should be able to take off take off Baylor.
2: Yeah, for Baylor, I really want to see how they do against a good team that's also smart because not that Illinois or Kansas aren't smart, but they obviously are, you know, a lot of freshmen, sophomores, junior players, you know, especially those main two guys on Illinois and and Kansas just churns guys in and out like it's nothing. But, you know, Gonzaga is a team that has a lot of guys that have been in college basketball for a while. They're smart. They're not going to be fooled by some of those one, three, one principles like a lot of the guys on Illinois or Kansas might've. So I just want to see how, you know, They do that, and I want to see how Gonzaga is able to, you know, just apply that offensive pressure throughout the whole game because here's an Illinois team that – or, excuse me, a Baylor team that, you know, will still be able to play really good defense. Like, let's not be fooled. This Gonzaga team won't turn the ball over as much, but it's a Baylor team that's still going to, you know, create tough shots and all that, kind of like a Virginia will do. So I just wanted to make sure that Gonzaga, you know – while they might not be fooled is still going to be able to put up some points because that would be a little bit alarming, you know, is this is kind of really a big, big test to see how good Gonzaga really is and like you mentioned, Rich, they don't have many of those other tests as the season goes on. So, you know, you want to make sure that they don't just fall on if they go under 75 points, it'd be like, okay, well, when they play a good defense, you know, this could happen.
0: Yeah, I think this is going to be a very unique situation for uh, both teams, especially I think the Gonzaga guard play is going to be very critical, especially in that zone. You're going to have to shoot over the zone probably seven times out of ten, and they have absolute snipers with Kispert and Nembard. So I think we're going to learn a lot more about uh, Gonzaga, I think, especially than, uh, than we are going to learn about Baylor. I think Baylor already has their identity and they understand how they want to play. I think we're going to learn with Gonzaga with all these uh, new pieces that they've brought in to really see how they're going to flow together. And we're, I think the line is three and a half. I'm going to, I would, I think if you're a sports better out there, I would take the Zags at three and a half. I think they're going to probably win by seven or eight points. It'll be a very close game, but I think Gonzaga has the, at the free throw line will be the difference, especially late in the game. They have They have one of the best free throw shooting teams in the country. So. I think that's what uh, I have there. I know, Rich, you picked Gonzaga. Matt,
2: what do you think? I, I'm going Gonzaga as well.
0: All right, so we got Gonzaga across the board. So that means Baylor's going to win. But <laughs> yeah, right. I was going to say
1: we should have we should have <laughs> hedged our bets here. Now we'll now we'll be on. Uh, you know, everybody's going to say, "Oh, well, you know."
0: Yeah, absolutely. All right, so we're going to take a little bit of a 180 here and transition to uh, to some NFL uh, headlines. Then we're going to. Jump back to some college basketball. But uh, here we're going to talk about the Wednesday night football game that took place that was uh, postponed about 15 times due to COVID-19. Uh, realistically, it was only three. But the Pittsburgh Steelers took down the Baltimore Ravens 19-14. Very ugly and sloppy game that, was take- that took place at Heinz Field. But it almost felt like a little bit of a Pittsburgh-Baltimore feel. Sloppy in the trenches. You're going to see some different things there. Uh, Pittsburgh ended up winning 19-14. It looked like Pittsburgh felt like they were in command until Baltimore made a very late push and actually had a chance to potentially steal a win there. And I think Pittsburgh, now 11-0, they're trying to figure out how to just win at this point. It's just winning ugly. They don't care how it's done. Just keep winning and stay ahead of Kansas City uh, to take that one seed. RG3 ended up getting the start over Lamar Jackson, who tested positive for COVID. RG three was actually doing some damage with the QB run until he pulled his hamstring in the second quarter, which probably was a unique component there. Uh, And then I think a real big component was Pittsburgh dropping passes all over the field. Deontay Johnson, Eric Ebron, Chase Claypool. Like I felt this game should have been a blow, a blowout in my opinion. Uh, So Matt, let's start with you. What'd you see and what do you think of the Pittsburgh and Baltimore teams at the moment?
2: Right now, I'm scared for Pittsburgh. I really wasn't high on them going into that game. I mean, look, they're 11-0. I can't go, you know, too hard on them. They're a top three, top four team in football. But just, I mean, on paper, they should win that game by a couple touchdowns. You know, you've got most of the Baltimore, most of the starting lineup out on, on both sides of the ball. And, you know, you've got RG3 in there, just throwing to Des Bryant. And you just don't, like, that. you can't be having that out there. I just expected... Pittsburgh to run away with it I think the reason Baltimore was in the game is because you know Baltimore creates that you know that turnover in the first quarter Pittsburgh misses the extra point it was just like okay like a couple of stuff is going right for the Ravens but out of Baltimore you know you've got to see a team that they're gonna have to rattle off four of these last five games because this team is six and five right now it's not going to get any easier for them Pittsburgh's fine they have nothing to worry about but it's Baltimore that, you know, I mean, they have a lot to worry about if they want to make the playoffs or not. But, you know, when you look at it, both teams, Pittsburgh's still a really good team. It's just that game against the Bills, I think, is going to be where you really see how good this team is.
1: You know, it was it was interesting for me going into this game because, yeah, all right, it got postponed three times. But if you took everything and you looked at it from a Ravens perspective, you said, okay, Lamar Jackson is out. Okay, so we're going to have to start our G3. Our whole running back room, was either COVID or COVID traced. So no Mark Ingram, no J- J- no J.K. Dobbins, and really no Gus Edwards. Okay, so you say, who do we have on offense? How are we going to make this work? The Steelers should have blown this game out of the water. I mean, really, the Steelers, I don't think it's unfair to say that the Steelers might be the worst 11-0 team I've ever seen in my life. Because this is just, I don't understand, uh, this team is very confusing. This team has one of the top defenses in the league. Big Ben has shown again that he can still play it at at an elite level. He has wide receivers out of nowhere. He's got Eric Ebron. This this offense should be fully loaded. It is fully loaded. It should be fully clicking, and it's not. Uh, You talk about dropping passes. um, You talk about missed opportunities on special teams. The fact that this game was even close – And again, there's some COVID part to it where you're like, okay, game gets suspended three times. You know, you don't really know when you're playing here and there or whenever. Um, But at the end of the day, you look at the Steelers team on paper, and then you look at that Ravens team on paper and you're like, how did this game finish like this? makes no sense to me. And Matt, you brought up a great point. Uh, During the broadcast, they showed uh, the Steelers last couple games, however many games they have at the end of the year. Um, they have to play the Bills. I think that's a loss. They have to play the Browns. They might lose that game too. So this, there's no way this team finishes undefeated in the regular season. And now you look at them on the defensive side of the ball. Yes, I said they have one of the best defenses in the league, and they do. But now Bud Dupree uh, is injured and he's out for the season. So you're getting to the point in the season where, you know, the injuries start to pile up. And the defense has essentially, uh, you know, done a good part in carrying them so far through this season. Uh, You know, is, is TJ Watt going to keep stepping up? I mean, you can't ask your defense for that every week. So at the end of the day, big Ben's delivering the ball. Uh, Chase Claypool, Deontay Johnson, Juju, Eric Ebron, this team should be good enough uh, to keep it going. But I mean, that was not pretty at all.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, uh, I think Pittsburgh actually might they could easily lose three or four games down the stretch, I think. And they might slip all the way to a two or a three seed, which is kind of scary to actually think about that they've they've looked, they've but you can just tell that they just are just they don't haven't figured out their identity. They don't know who they are yet, especially offensively. They haven't decided if they're gonna be a ground and pound team or if they're gonna throw the ball all over the lot with Big Ben. And I think probably their most successful way is to be a a a passing football team with all those wide receivers and tight ends. But I think they just, they haven't figured it out yet, especially playing at Heinz Field. And you think of Pittsburgh, you think of defense, you think the terrible tally, you think you're going to run the ball down your throat with Jerome Bettis. So, but like, so you feel like Pittsburgh is just still trying to figure out who they are, which is a little too, almost too little too late to have your identity trying to find at this point. So I just want to get your quick endpoint, point, guys. Who are your guys' top teams to contend at the moment? Uh, let's start with uh, Rich. Who do you have? Just give me your top two teams in both conferences that you think are the probably going to be in the conference championships.
1: You know, it, it's such a tough question sitting here right now. I mean, obviously the Chiefs are up there. Um, I like this, even though – I think they're going to lose a couple games down the stretch. I I still do think the Steelers will be there at the end, uh, however long they get through the postseason. But you know, I, the Chiefs are just—they're too good on offense. You know, we had the same conversation last year. Okay, the Chiefs' defense really wasn't that good, but their offense was just that much better. That it didn't really matter that the defense wasn't that good. You when you score 40 points a game. So I think you're having the similar conversation this year with the Chiefs. I think the Steelers will be there at the end. Um, I think the Bills have a good chance of being there at the end. I know I'm not really giving you a straight answer, but uh, you know, I, I think these are, these are some teams that I would look out for. On the NFC side, you know, at the start of the season, I really thought it was going to be the Seahawks. Russell Wilson was playing at an MVP level. Now he's kind of fallen off, and that defense is atrocious. I mean, they trade for Jamal Adams and they get worse, which I, don't, I still don't understand how that happens. Um, but, you know, I thought it was going to be the Seahawks there for a little bit. Then I thought maybe maybe the Bucks do figure it out. Maybe Brady and Arians do figure it out. And then he goes and throws three picks, you know, last week or the week before. Uh, so at this point – the Saints had a really good chance before Breeze got hurt, uh, so you know I like the Saints. But Taysom Hill's done a good enough job. Uh, will he be a good enough quarterback in the in the postseason to get it done? No, probably not. So the NFC, I would say, is really up for grabs. Um, but I'll give you the I'll give you the Packers. I think the Packers are there at the end.
2: Well, Rich did about uh, fifteen teams there. Like, so. <laughs> I was
0: gonna say I gave you he, he picked that he picked everyone that was in contention basically.
2: <laughs> <think> the original <laughs> too. <way> <laughs> no, I mean because I, I agree with Rich though. I think there's like so many teams that are there. But if I had to pick two in each conference, Kansas City's got to be number one in the AFC. I was I'm tempted to go with Buffalo at number two just because. You know, really one of their only main losses was to Tennessee, and since then, especially over the last three or four games, they've really gotten the defense a lot better. And, you know, again, that Pittsburgh game will be key because if the Bills don't really come out that big against Pittsburgh, okay, I'll probably, you know, move on to either Pitt or Tennessee. But right now it's got to be the Chiefs and Buffalo for me. And in the NFC, I think Green Bay is a no-brainer. I think if I'm picking a Super Bowl, it's Kansas City and Green Bay but I'm actually going to go with a whim right here and go with the Los Angeles Rams as my number two in the NFC. This is a team that's defense has given up less than 20 points, excuse me, less than 23 points in each of the last three games. They had a rough outing against the Dolphins, but really over the past five, six, seven games, that defense has been real good. It seems like Jared Goff is playing a lot better on offense. He had a really rough game against San Francisco, but before that he was – throwing the ball really well. Um, so I'd like to see, obviously, how they do over the next couple games. they got a tough game against the Cardinals coming up, and then down the stretch they've got the Seahawks in week 16. But right now, something just telling me the Rams, I mean, they're really kicking it in full gear lately.
0: Yeah, and I think uh, we didn't really mention – you just mentioned the Rams. I think the Rams, out of the, especially, have the most complete team at the moment. They know what and they have the offense. They have the defense. They have the special teams. I think right now at the moment, if you're looking at completeness, especially in the NFC, the Rams definitely have to be there. I, for me, I'm a huge advocate of the Green Bay Packers as well. I, I mean, I'm diehard Aaron Rodgers. Growing up in the Bay Area, I mean, he's he's he is the uh, best thrower of the football that I've seen. But now there's Patrick Mahomes, but still, the first that I've seen up close and. So, I think definitely the Packers are there. I actually had a little – I was on the another podcast this past weekend, and I threw out the Indianapolis Colts, and then they ended up getting blown out by Tennessee. But I, so, that made me look foolish. But I still think the Colts have an opportunity because the, especially – I think the vulnerability was shown that that they had three people out due to COVID. DeForest Buckner was one of them, and Derek Henry just went off on that defensive front. So, I think the Colts still have an opportunity. For them, it's just trying to figure out – how to contain Phillip Rivers? You limit the Philip Rivers turnovers. You're going to be have a chance in every game. So I think that's the opportunity for the Colts, I also the Chiefs as well. And then I had the Packers as well. And I still, I still have hope for Tampa Bay. I think they are going to figure it out. Their schedule is a wash towards the, for these last these games. They're going to have a very good opportunity to run the table and figure it all out. So those are my four. But we're going to go back, jump back. We have a huge Seton Hall game tonight. We're all sitting Hall of guys, so the Hall is going to be taking on Oregon tonight. Oregon uh, has only played one game; they lost to Mizzou earlier this week. While well, we're coming off of our first victory over Iona, so from what I've seen from the Hall earlier this season, is that it's definitely going to be a scoring by committee without without Miles Powell, and you're going to see different guys each night with Roden, Mamu, potentially even Molson, who's a scorer. That, that canisius transfer, so I think it's going to be a really unique uh, scene tonight to see how we're going to be able to fare against a formidable opponent. Uh, as we also we came off of the loss to URI, we didn't look that convincing. So, uh, Rich, let's start with you. What do you expect to see from the Hall tonight against Oregon?
1: Uh, you know, this is one of those situations where you write a whole bunch of things on a pad, rip up the paper, throw them in a bag, and pick one out. And, uh, you know, that can be the Seton Hall team we get tonight. Uh, you know, it's – this is exactly what I thought this team was going to be this year. And that is, you know who your primary scorer is in Mamo. Outside of that, what are you going to get? And I think so far uh, that's held true. In the Iona game, Jared Roden looks like the next superstar. And then against URI, okay, yeah, he has 10 points, which is good for second on the team in points, by the way, which is a whole other conversation. Um, but you need, you need more. You need more. This was a team that, listen, you know you lost Miles Powell, so where are you getting your three-point shot from? You know you lose Quincy McKnight. He's your floor general, so where are you getting that from? And you lose Roe, who is a dominant force in the paint, and your primary shot blocker. So now you say, okay, we thought Bryce Aiken was going to fill that. Now he gets hurt, which again you probably could have expected. And you hate to say things like that, but uh, it, it's been the story of Bryce Aiken's career. You know, it's hard for him to stay on the court. When he is on the court, he's a difference maker. But he's got to get there first. So you know, you lose your four general. Okay, that's one. Uh, number two. Your three-point shooting, I still don't have the answer from where it's coming from. Okay, if Sandro wants to knock down four threes a game, that's beautiful. But your guards need to – somebody's got to get a three-point shot going. Um, And, you know, with an interior presence, you think, okay, Ike can stand in and and help that. His hands are not good. (laughs) He, he has a hard time catching the ball. Uh, he, he's, got, he's got a hard time moving his feet in the post. Uh, it, there are a lot of challenges so far early in the season for this Seton Hall team. And like I said before, I don't want to overreact. I want to I I let the season breathe a little bit. I want to give them a chance to figure it out. Um, but again, there are things that you don't want to take with you from game to game. And we're already starting to see that trend happen.
2: Yeah, to kind of go off of Rich's point, I mean, yeah, you see Sandro and Jared that I think will be the main two scorers all season long. I'd like to see Tikal Molson step it up. I think he has a good frame of a guard who will be able to use his body if he can, you know, continue to improve. I mean, he looks like he can hit some shots from from three and it looks like he can drive into the lane a little bit. Just hasn't really been able to finish much. But, again, here's a guy who sat out a whole year and now he's coming back in the middle of a pandemic. I mean, that might be one of the toughest comebacks you know, of any of these people playing college basketball. But I think that Sandro is going to have a big game against Oregon, if you want to know the truth. I mean, Oregon only has one guy that's taller than six foot nine. That's in Folly Dante, who's 6'11. He won't be able to guard Sandro out on the perimeter at all. So you might see Ike in there. If I'm Kevin Willard, I'm putting Tyree Samuel in there as well, with him and Sandro at the same time. Now, I know Samuel has had trouble with his fouls in the first couple of games, but If you can somehow get this Oregon team to not put – to put Dante on Sandro, I mean, it'll be big things. Because Eugene Omorui, that's a tough name to pronounce as well, you know, he'll be able to bang down low. He could maybe – you know, Sandro could have some struggles with him down low. He's only 6'6", but he's just a huge body. But if you get that Sandro and Nfale-Dante matchup, I mean, I could see Mamu going off for 30 or 35 tonight.
0: That's that's a that's a bold statement. That that's bold. a very bold statement. I like it. I like it. And I think I think we're gonna see a much different Oregon team though tonight though too. After mm-hmm. that loss to Missouri on Wednesday, they really just they just didn't look like the the Oregon team of the past. I think the loss of Peyton Pritchard played a huge role than more than people really have taken account. Having losing their floor general, your crunch time scorer, but I think. Oregon's going to come out with a little bit of a vengeance to say the least. Um, I'm very reluctant about how we're going to actually end up playing. I was just, I, I just don't know what we're going to get out of, out of, out of Sandro. I don't know what we're going to get. That's, I think that's a huge issue we're getting. I don't, Miles Kale. I got an APB out for him. I really do. Where is he? Where
1: is he? Is he even on the court? I really don't know. It was Miles, Miles Kale. Five on four. He's just – he's so frustrating because – and Matt and I were talking about this the other day. He is just – you know, he hits that big shot against Kentucky sophomore year, and you're like, okay, now this is the miles Kale like we thought we were going to get. And then, you know, he leaves his sophomore year, and if you go back and watch game tape from last year and compare his shots, he doesn't shoot the same. He doesn't shoot the same ball. I don't know what happened to him. I don't know if, you know, psychologically something happened to him where he felt the need to change his shot or it's just happening and he can't fix it. Um, but, you know, this was a Pirates team that really needed him to step up. And, you know, for some reason he hasn't been able to do that. One last point on Oregon, by the way. Um, LJ Figueroa, Seton Hall fans should know who he is. Uh, transfer from St. John's, he gets his waiver. He's good. To, he's eligible to play tonight. I don't know how you know. I don't know how many minutes he'll accrue, uh, but you know he's eligible and ready to go for Oregon. That's a huge get for them.
0: He's a straight out scorer too. He knows how to put the ball in the basket against the Pirates. <laughs> um, so, and then I think we're going to learn more about the Hall also on Sunday too going to University Park to play uh, Penn State as well. I think this is going to be a a very good uh, standard setter of what we're going to see from the Pirates for the rest of the year. But now we're going to transition to our little bit of our final segment of the the day here for my uh, sports betting guys. You know, you love what time it is. It's called Lock It In. So we're going to throw you our three college football locks and our three NFL locks for this weekend. We're going to do it a little bit of a rapid fire here. So I'll start, then it'll go to Rich, and then it'll go down to Matt. And then we'll just do a big circle here of our three picks, all right? So we're going to start off with some college football. For my first pick, I've got Oklahoma State minus two and a half on the road at TCU. Why? Oklahoma State still has a very slim chance of being able to sneak into the Big 12 championship. They need a lot of help but there's still an opportunity for them. And you all with Chuba Hubbard, Spencer Sanders, and Ty Wallace, they're going to score points, and I just don't know what you're going to get from the Horn Frogs and TCU. Max Duggan, he's very inconsistent with throwing the ball down the field. I know he's a very quality runner, especially in that read option play, but I just don't know what you're going to get. So I love Oklahoma State at minus two and a half. All right, Rich, what do you got for your first one?
1: I'm gonna give you Alabama minus 30 against LSU right off the bat. Okay, now this is a this is a weird one because this is the largest uh, this is the largest margin of any team coming off a national championship win. So LSU, it, as as much as it pains me to say this because I love Ed Orgeron and I love that program, they haven't figured it out. They still don't really know who their quarterback is. You know, you lose basically your whole offense to the NFL draft. And then Jamar Chase opts out. This team has not got it clicking at all this year. Uh, Mac Jones has thrown for like 400 yards in every game he's played this year. And I don't even think he's that good. So Alabama minus 30 at LSU, I think
2: that's a lock. I'm going to throw one right back at you, Blaine. I've got TCU plus two. Oh,
1: okay. I like
2: it. I like it. I
0: like the controversy.
2: (laughs) And uh, my reason, you know, Chuba Hubbard's obviously a terrific running back, but TCU's run defense, one of the best in the Big 12. They've shot a lot of RBs under 100 yards on the season. And, you know, their last two games have been a little bit iffy, so that's why, you know, I'm a little bit iffy. This is my most iffy one, but (laughs) – Call an upset. I needed to call one upset, and I'm liking TCU in this one. The game's at TCU as well.
0: Yep. All right. So my next one, I've got my upset, is actually next. I've got Boston College plus four and a half versus Virginia. I really just feel like Vegas does not like Boston College, even though they've taken Notre Dame and Clemson in very competitive games. And and still, and I just don't know what you're gonna get from UVA for week to week. I mean one week that they look great on offense, the next week they can't even score a touchdown, and you're scoring six points. I mean, UVA's four and four, and a Boston College team under Jeff Halfley that plays hard. Six and four, they've got something to prove. I think he's really building a great culture there at Boston College, and I think they're going to be a real threat next year for being a potential outside dark horse to make a run at the ACC ch- title game. So Boston College plus four and a half, I would actually take them to win outright, For a better odds there, that's my upset right there.
1: I also have an upset here on my second pick, and I'm just going to preface it by saying Penn State should not get 11.5 points versus anybody, okay? This is ridiculous. I looked at this game, and I saw this, and I was like, what is going on here? First of all, James Franklin's probably out at the end of the year, okay? This is a Penn State program that has completely turned on its head, and James Franklin hasn't hasn't been able to do anything to stop it. Okay, so the fact that they're getting 11.5 points at uh, Rutgers is ridiculous to me. Greg Schiano has Rutgers playing hard, and uh, they, they're definitely going to keep it within those 11.5 points. I don't know if Rutgers wins, but they're definitely going to keep it within that. I like Rutgers. I like Greg Schiano. Give him a few more years to build the program to where they'll actually start winning consistently. Uh, but this is a game where I really like Rutgers plus 11.5.
2: Well, I don't have an upset, but I do have a team that got upset last week. That's Oregon. I had the minus nine against Cal. You know, obviously Oregon loses the game to Oregon State, but come on, this is still a Ducks team that can really score the ball. Now, Cal's looked better than in most years over their first three games, but they've still been three losses, and the one against UCLA, probably their best, one of their better competitions, lost by 24. Now, again, they kept it close with Oregon State and Stanford, but I just think that Oregon bounces back and – they're going to have to win by a couple scores.
0: All right. Now for my last college football pick, I'm going to keep it brief. I've got Florida minus 16 and a half versus Tennessee. And it's just because Kyle Trask and Kyle Pitts, that's it. In Florida. Florida's going to blow them out. Tennessee can't score. There you go. Very quick.
1: <laughs> I mean, sometimes it is that simple. Sure. <laughs> it is. Um, my last one I'm a little worried about just because they've only played one game this year. Uh, and it's Arizona State minus three and a half versus UCLA. Um, I'm nervous just because Herm Edwards and everybody, everybody tested positive for COVID. So it's not like, you know, they were out for a month. They were out for about a month, month and a half. You know, they've only played one game and it was the opening week of the college football season. And then they had to shut everything down. Um, But they're right now minus three and a half versus UCLA. Um, They have not lost a home opener in like 21, 22 years. Uh, I think it stays and they get another one there. Uh, So I'll take Arizona State minus three
2: and a half. I've got Clemson minus 22 against Virginia Tech. Look, Notre Dame is most likely in the college football playoff. That means that Clemson needs to impress the committee any way they can. This is a great opportunity to do so. They all know that. And Trevor Lawrence and Clemson, they're going to go off for 40, 50 points most likely in this game. I can't see it being that close.
0: All right, I like it. I like, all, I like everyone's picks. Me and Matt have a little bit of a, a, little bit of a texting uh, rivalry that's going to be going on tomorrow about Oklahoma State TCU. But um, all right, let's transition to the NFL. Uh, we're going to do, a little, again, some rapid fire uh, here. I've, news just broke. Daniel Jones is doubtful. So Seattle is minus nine and a half at the moment. Jump on the line now. I'm sorry. I know you I know Rich is a big Giants guy, but still Rich. I'm telling you right now, hop on the Seahawks, minus nine and a half, especially with Daniel Jones unlikely to play. They're gonna be starting Colt McCoy. I just don't know what you're gonna get out of that Giants offense. They didn't they did not look good in that second half against Cincinnati. So give me Seattle minus nine and a half before that. That that spread will probably be up to thirteen by the end of the day. So
1: Yeah, that that's gonna be a painful one on Sunday. But you know what? For us Giants fans, we'll figure it out. My my number one is going to number one game here is going to be the Colts minus three at the Texans. Uh, Yes, Blaine, like you said before, Colts got absolutely blown out last week. I don't think they're going to let that happen again. Texans are now without Will Fuller. Um, It really hasn't been clicking for Houston all year. So, Colts minus three at Texans.
2: I've got Detroit plus three at Chicago. New coaching, maybe a new game plan. It could be a little bit rough, but Mitch Trubisky has been nothing short of awful this season. And if you guys remember that first game that these two teams played, the Lions were beating the Bears by a lot, and then the Bears came back and won that game. But this just isn't the same Bears team that was playing that well in the beginning of the season. Again, new coaching, a little bit iffy, but I think Detroit will cover plus three.
0: Very good. I've got next one. It's a little bit of an upset. I mean, the spread's even at the moment. I'm taking the L.A. Chargers over the New England Patriots, actually. The spread is even. I think it'll probably be New England favored at that point by, the, by kickoff. But I just like the L.A. Chargers offense, and I know the Patriots are going to keep every team in the game with how lackluster their offense is. It's nothing short of atrocious as well. So they, I just don't know if they're going to be able to score the ball enough, and I love me some Justin Herbert at the moment, so give me the Chargers.
1: I will take the Dolphins minus eleven and a half versus the Bengals. Uh, this is more of an indictment on the Bengals than it is the Dolphins because with Brandon Allen behind center, coming from a Giants fan to watch the game last week, the Bengals can't move the ball. Okay, so take the Dolphins minus eleven and a half. Uh, who knows? Maybe you'll get a Fitz magic game, and the Dolphins will run up the score. But I like Dolphins minus eleven and a half.
2: I've got Vegas minus eight and a half over the Jets. You know, the Jets have made some games close, but it's kind of a must-win game for the Raiders. And the Jets are allowing, you know, about 110 rush yards per game, which it could be worse, but you've got Josh Jacobs there. I think he'll have a pretty big impact in this one.
0: Uh, Actually, Matt, you stole my third pick, so I also have Vegas minus eight and a half versus the Jets. And I think Vegas getting manhandled last week against Atlanta is going to allow them to take it out on New York this weekend. So, again, let's just keep it short. Vegas, eight and a half, take that one as well.
1: Poor Jets, man. They can't catch a break. I was, When I was looking at the games, I was really surprised by this. The 49ers are actually favored against Buffalo. I don't like that. Give me Buffalo plus one against the 49ers. Even though the Niners are getting help back, uh, you know, Raheem Mostert comes back. Richard Sherman's going to be back. They're still they're still missing two big pieces on defense. And, you know, do you have faith in Jimmy G? I do, but I know a lot of people don't. Uh, but the fact that the 49ers are favored in this game, and they're going to have to play in a totally new stadium. They can't play uh, at their home stadium. Mm-hmm. I don't like 49ers minus one. Give me the Bills plus one, and maybe even a win outright as well.
2: Rich, you stole mine, so I'll put it up to a pregame lean of Bills minus two and a half. I think the Bills will win by at least a field goal. And I just agree with everything you said. New stadium, you know, they got guys coming back, but it's a Buffalo team that's, they're playing pretty well.
0: Yeah, San Francisco's been playing in Arizona, so you don't even know how they're going to be able to handle whatever they're going through at the moment uh but rich matt i want to thank you for taking the time out of your day out of your friday to come on and hop on final whistle i appreciate you guys taking the time today guys of course this was a
1: lot of fun we gotta do this again all right definitely
2: this was great i just hope that uh, my picks end up better than yours got a little competition there
0: oh boy here we go man
1: Uh,
2: all right everybody that's our friday edition of final whistle Look
0: out for another edition next week. You know, as always, I'm out on Tuesdays and Fridays. Have a great day, everyone. Enjoy your weekend. Have a good day.